Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started. Hi, welcome to Game of Thrones Weekly. I'm your host, Dave Child. I'm going to be talking about my five favorite sword fights of Game of Thrones. So, unsheath, parry, water dance, and let's let's talk about them. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Hi everybody, I'm Dave Child. You can find me at mrdavechild or davechild.com because I'm Dave Child. I'm alone today, so you might see a man slowly go insane as he talks to himself. But I do have Anthony in the booth, so thanks for joining me, Anthony. Yo, yo, yo. And uh, sword fights. And we're going to be talking about my five favorite sword fights on Game of Thrones. I know it's going to be highly debated. And I actually, you know what? I'm going to get the chat up here so you can actually talk to me on the chat. But because I want to hear your opinions and I'm by myself. So you might as well have someone to talk to. Uh, but yes, I'm going to get that up as soon as I can. But yeah, uh, first I want to talk about the news. I want to talk about some Game of Thrones news. Nothing huge this week, but we do have a little bit of something, something. First thing off in kind of related news, David Benioff and D.B. Wise, their show Confederate, is has a feeling that it's kind of being put on hold. Um, recently, AV Club came out with an article about it, and it looks like that it's not being actively worked on, which makes sense because right now they're in the middle of the last season of Game of Thrones, and uh, they've said that the four showrunners are working on different projects and won't be able to focus on this new project for a while, maybe 18 months. My guess is they're waiting for a lot of kind of um, hype. Hype is the wrong word. I think visceral, visreal. I think just a lot of... A lot of the crazy, not too many people were happy about a show coming out that's just about uh, America if slavery wasn't abolished. So they're waiting for that to kind of die down, and it looks like it's going to be 18 months before we see it. I kind of wouldn't be surprised if we don't end up seeing it at all. But that's only related to Game of Thrones because done by the creators of Game of Thrones, uh, the TV show. George R. R. Martin has nothing to do with it, of course. But anyways, uh, also the seventh season is about to come out on DVD. It'll be coming out on December 11th. So, you know, buy all your favorite, um, you know, sons and daughters and cousins, their favorite show, um, on, on the 11th. And also we have news that we do have one character. Uh, one actor, actress named Danielle Galligan is joining the cast and she'll be playing a character named Sarah with two R's. So it might be Sarah, Sarah, but it's S-A-R-R-A. And, uh, she'll be joining us in season eight. And the only one in the book who has that name is Afray. 
is Sarah Frey, who's Walder Frey's uh, one of the many granddaughters of Walder Frey. So maybe this is coming back for revenge. I think we do have a picture of her. Yes. Uh, and so we're curious about, you know, but also Game of Thrones might be just using the name and might be putting it in someone else. So it might not be the Frey. It might be someone else with the double R Sarah name. Also, Jason Momoa, our favorite uh, Dothraki lord and also Aquaman, was visiting the set of Game of Thrones earlier this month uh, in November. And we have some great pictures. If you can, if you can look at the, uh, did I send you those? Yeah, look it up. And he visited the set, and he actually he was hanging out with Jon Snow and Davos. And all those guys, and he's got a, such a great hat. He's got the best hat I've ever seen. That's it. Just look at that hat. Look at that. No one could pull off a hat like that. That's, you know, it's, if, for all you podcast listeners, it's like a bowler hat just took a dive into a steampunk, steampunk, like fountain. And then he came out of it and went to Burning Man. And that hat is so beautiful. And I feel like, you know, we have all these tweets from George R. R. Martin where he's looking for a new hat. And the, the new hat's just right there. It's just a beautiful hat. And anyways, he was visiting the set. He says he was only visiting it to visit his friends, to see his friends, David uh, Benioff and D.B. Wise and other cast members he used to work on Game of Thrones with. He claims he's not returning because, you know, he's dead. That kind of makes it hard for him to return, but we could have a flashback. We could have a three-eyed raven visit. Who knows? So that's a possibility because he was hanging out on set and he said he really wanted to meet the actress, uh, the actor who played Torment. That he finds him crazy and he's never met him and uh, wanted the chance to meet him. And look at the, how happy they are. They're like bearded, bearded, happy dwarves. Not dwarves, giants barbarians just happy one from the the cold north and the other one from the sands of dothraki not sands plains but uh oh man they're beautiful together so anyways that that picture warms your heart if you're listening on the podcast i would highly recommend looking up those pictures because it's wonderful all right okay now we're gonna get into my top five favorite sword fights now there's a lot of fighting and battles in Game of Thrones. But I tried to specifically look at the ones that involved sword fights and maybe it's a spear versus a sword, but it's kind of a more of a one-on-one -on -one sword fight. That's what I tried to focus on or not one-on-one -on -one, because there's a couple in here that involves kind of a group of people. But for the most part, swords have to be involved. It's fighting. I'm not talking about the dragon burning down hordes of uh hordes of people here or fights against a lot of the fights against the 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 weights and the white walkers they don't quite make the list there's a great fight where it's uh Jon Snow versus a white walker in Hardhome that didn't quite make my top 5 but that became very close cuz it's a really cool fight but besides that I'm looking at specifically using a sword specifically fighting kind of one-on-one -on -one 
or at least sword to sword or sword to a couple of swords. So I'm going to be playing. If you're watching on YouTube, great. You're going to get to see the little scenes that we're talking about. I'll try to describe them as we watch them for the podcast listeners. And I'll talk about what kind of makes them great while I also set them up. So number five, my the one that's the lowest on the list, but that's only because... I like to think of, when I'm thinking of these sword fights, I realized as I was looking around all the fights and researching, I tend to gravitate, gravitate towards the ones that are focused on characters I love and are part of an arc or a character development that really enhances the story and brought more gravitas to the story and made it so... It kind of brought the story along farther than where it was before. It wasn't just an action sequence for the sake of an action sequence. And the only one in this list that kind of is that and is a bit more of a fan service than the other ones is the Tower of Joy fight. And that's the only reason why it's number five and not higher on the list because I think it's actually technically one of the best sword fights. Like, you really see some really expert sword fighting and use of blades and uh while the other ones are a bit more character development and uh, a bit more of uh, actually enhances the characters these are people it's young ned stark uh when we see the tower of joy fight we see it through the eyes of bran with his uh with the three-eyed raven who's showing him this important moment from the past and we don't quite know why it's being shown yet. We just see that's from the past. And we see Ned Stark fighting with uh, Sir Arthur Dane, who, if you remember from my talk about all the different swords uh, of Game of Thrones, is the Sword of the Morning. And he actually has the Sword of the Morning with him, which in the book is supposed to be like a sword made from a fallen meteor, a fallen star. But in the in the show, it's kind of just looks like another sword. In fact... One thing that Sir Arthur Dane kind of stands out for in this sword fight we're about to watch is his use of two swords, which I thought was kind of great because we don't really see anyone use. We see people use um, a long sword and or we see them use a bastard sword. I believe these are both bastard swords, but we don't see them use them together. Usually it's like one long sword with a dagger or one giant two-handed long sword um, and that's it. Uh, or two daggers, or two smaller swords. Uh, but in this case, we see two rather large bastard swords being wielded by one man rather expertly. So, uh, Anthony, you can start to play this actual fight. And that begins. So two swords that Arthur Dane is bringing out. Now it ends. And there's young Ned Stark. And he's just got one sword, but he's also got a few men on his side. Now, damn, this is a good fight. If you're listening on podcast, I'm sorry this is not going to be as good. But what's great about this fight is people get whittled down as the fight goes on. And the only one who stands his ground is Sir Arthur Dane. Now, right before this fight, we see Bran seeing him 
and saying that he, uh, that Ned always said that he was the best sword fighter he's ever seen, and he really proves it here. The choreography and stunt acting of this is amazing, because the guy has two broadswords, and he's holding off, I think, about four or five people here. And he really holds his own. And you gotta remember, a fight is just uh, a choreographed dance. Everything that they do on set has to be blocked and perfectly matched out. Now here, this is a great fight because he's able to get rid of all of Ned Stark's men, except for, it seems, Ned Stark. And so now the two fight on their own. But while Ned Stark is loyal, he's not really one to be known for sword fighting yet. Yeah. Once uh, there's a whittled down, once it comes to these two, it just feels like a com completely different fight, like how this is shot, and like just like the, the how the how high the stakes are right now. Yeah. And this is when Howlin' Reed uh, comes in, who's Ned's compatriot, and stabs him in the back, and that that's a big that's a big reveal too, because one thing we know about Ned is he's Arnival. And he's not someone to usually rely on people being stabbed in the back from behind. Yet that's how he wins his fight. And also, this is a fight that he's always told his kids about and that he's always won it and without revealing the fact that he had to have someone stab him in the back in order to win it. Which is a great moment in Ned Stark's character that we didn't expect because he died for a sense of honor and loyalty. So we don't expect to, him to have this famous fight that he actually has been not telling his kids the truth about. So that's I, – I had to put this fight on the list because I think it's one of the most famous fights and it was one of the most looked forward to fights from the book because it was really expertly described and everyone was looking forward to when it was coming. I think it would be higher on the list because I think the choreography and the blocking are actually the best of all the sword fighting, but because it it's not revolving around characters that I'm heavily invested in, I didn't feel like an emotional connection to it as much as the other ones I'm about to talk to. So the next one I want to talk about is the fight between the Hound and Beric Dondorian that happens on episode six of season three. And this fight is great because for one, we know the Hound is a good fighter. We've seen him fight before. We've seen him fight his his uh, brother, the Mountain, and a few other people before this. And we know that they're about to go into a trial by combat, and we've heard stories about how good Beric Dondorian is as a fighter. And we also know something about the Hound, which is that he's terribly afraid of fire. It's his only weakness. It's his kryptonite. And he hates it, and it probably is the one thing to take him down. So he's an expert fighter, but one thing Beric Dondorian has is he has a flaming sword. And it's just great to watch this fight between... It, it seemed like it was between the Hound and something he was terribly afraid of. 
and he was coming face to face with his own fear and fighting it just one on one. Um, this happens right when uh, the Brothers Without Banners have come, and uh, and they have uh, they've got Arya, and they've also and they've also got uh, the Hound, and they're putting they're putting the Hound up to a trial by combat. One of the many things we see throughout the Game of Thrones world, where uh, people are. People are often judged by the gods by how they combat and in how they fight. So this is one of the ways that they're going to see if they spare him or not by uh, the Hound fighting Beric uh, Dondorian. So we can start that right now. I think we got it right when he flames on. Yeah, this is him flaming on with the, his own blood. Which is, you know, when you start a fight with a magic trick, you've already won like half the battle, I think. And the only thing the Hound has, well, he has a sword, but he also has a wooden shield. And why he's probably a stronger man than Beric Dondorian, the the fire itself is is his enemy here. Again, the choreography of, of this whole fight is awesome. Alright, now he's lit the wooden shield on fire. So he's got a flaming he's got a flaming shield on his hand as he's trying to fight. And they're chanting guilty. And Arya, at this point in the story, Arya hates the Hound, and the Hound is still on her list. So she's cheering Dondorian on here, and this is when he's able to break through the flaming sword and kill Dondorian. And it isn't until, and this is when the, one of the many times Dondorian comes back from the dead, because you know that's his, that's his superpower. And Arya runs to kill the hound, but isn't able to reach him. Alright. And Adorin's back. So, why I also like this sword fight is not only is it the Hound, who's I think one of my favorite characters just because I, I love to see him try to redeem himself and fight his own demons. This was him coming face to face with his own demon. 
while at the same time he's um he's uh it's building the fact that maybe the god of light has plans for him because he's able to succeed it and he's able to he doesn't find himself innocent of anything he really holds himself to the guilt that he has but if this is a battle that's being determined by a god then he's passed and that's something that he has trouble with and it's an important moment for his character which is why i kind of included it here while it also being a cool ass sword fight okay next on the list we have another hound fight and this is between brienne and the hound now brienne is by far one of the best sword fighters in westeros we see her constantly in sword fight battles and and really besting and i almost put the fight that she has with jamie on the bridge when jamie's able to get his sword from brienne get brienne's sword uh second sword and they're able to have a fight on a bridge while his hands are tied and he's very tired and it's really the only time we see jamie fight before he loses his hand with Brienne. We do have a great sword fight between Jamie and Ned in the first season, but this is the only time Brienne gets to face him. And it's kind of interrupted. I think it's kind of it's a good sword fight, but it's not it doesn't have a satisfying ending. And I find I need a good satisfying ending or at least um a great moment at the end to really call it one of the best sword fights. One of my favorite sword fights. And it ends with him getting interrupted by the people that were going to later take his hand. So I didn't. It's definitely in my top ten, but I don't, didn't include it in my top five. Um, so in this fight, this is when Brienne and Podrick encounter Arya and the Hound. Now uh, we're going to start the clip a little after this, but one of the things I like is when Brienne comes upon Arya, she's practicing with her her sword with needle that I believe she just got back from another great sword fight, another great fight that would be included in my top ten, but I'm trying to whittle it down to five here, that uh, the Hound and Arya get Needle back from uh, the person who stole it from her in the in the inn. Anyways, there's a great fight between kind of these kingsmen. If you look it up, look for... Uh, the Hound versus Chickens, and you should be able to find that one. It's a great fight. And because they refer to themselves, and they talk about chickens a lot in it. So that's where that's coming from. So Brienne, when encounters when she encounters Arya, they have this great bonding moment. They have these this great moment where they're... There are these two characters that I think they're so badass because they're so... They represent underdogs. They represent... Two people that are – they're women in this world that, that where that doesn't really stand for very much and they have to fight. They have to prove that they're good at being warriors and being knights and being assassins and and they have to fight tooth and nail to be recognized as that. And they see in one another a kinship at this moment 
and they talk about their swords and they talk about the names of their swords and before we continue, one of the ways we keep all these shows for you free is by our amazing sponsors, and today Spotify is one of our sponsors. On Spotify, you can listen to all of your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Premium users can even download episodes to listen to offline wherever they are, and you can easily share what you're listening to with all your friends and following on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, Already, be sure to download the Spotify app and search for AfterBuzz TV on Spotify or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Also, make sure you follow us so you never miss an episode of AfterBuzz TV. And Brienne talks about how her sword is called Oath. Uh, I think it's Oathbreaker. Oathbreaker. And um, I thought it was something else. I could be very wrong there. But uh, and and Needle. And then they. They have a moment where they really – you could see that they really like each other and really appreciate each other because they see they see that kinship. And then the hound steps out and Podrick recognizes the hound and there's a moment where Brienne recognizes Arya and she's on this mission and sworn oath to keep Arya safe and to find Arya. And she finally has – but Hound's on his – he's on his own mission. He's on his own moment where he thinks that he has to protect Arya and that the only one who can protect Arya is himself. And I think it becomes very clear with what he says at the beginning of this right before the fight begins. Um, and I think that's all queued up. So let Anthony play that. So listen to what he says here. to you, dumb bitch. You don't know that by now. You're the wrong one to watch over her. And that's what you're doing? Watching over her? Aye, that's what I'm doing. See, to Brienne, that sounds like a threat, and that sounds like he's a threat to Arya. But that's truly what he he's doing. And this fight is amazing. Just because they're two powerhouses. It's not like the other fights... Where it's someone using their strengths that counteracts the other one's strengths. They are two strong fighters with a lot of muscle behind them. And a lot of power. So every move they make is kind of, they're meeting every single, every single blow. Brienne finally does get the upper hand here. I have no wish to kill you, sir. This is when the hound grabs her sword and is letting it just cut into his own hands. I'm not a knight. And now it just turns into... It turns into a fist fight, and it turns into them kicking each other. They even match, like, kicks to the groin. And this is pretty brutal. But if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you're kind of used to it by now. 
Poor Brienne bites off his ear. And that's something I kind of forgot happened, so I... Because you can't really notice if he has an ear or not since his face is already scarred off. Oh, just enjoy the sounds of this, podcast listeners. It's a brutal fight. Brutal fist fight. And he falls off a cliff. Alright, that's the end of that fight. Later, Arya meets up with him at the bottom of the cliff, but I didn't include that there. Um, it's just such a... it's. It, it's such a crazy, um, brutal fight between two people you know are great fighters, and they finally meet up, and this is this is what happens. This is what happens when they when they face each other, and they both have this righteous cause behind them, and just becomes who's who's stronger, who's like who's more powerful, and the hound. Has everything in his favor to make you seem like he'll be the most powerful. But Brienne really proves herself as the fighter she kind of promises to be throughout all of this. And we've seen her kick so much ass, but we haven't really seen her fight someone who we already know is a great warrior. So it's just it's just a good battle between juggernauts. And that's something we don't tend to see because what usually happens is a play between... Two different fighting styles, and which is makes for a very strong scene when you have two people who seem to be trained in a different way facing off one another and using their strengths and their weaknesses against one another. Um, and a good example of that, and this is by far one of my favorite fights, even though it actually is probably the only one that doesn't that includes, I think, no bloodshed, and no one gets killed at the end, or no one gets almost killed like what happens with the Brienne Hound fight where you kind of it seems like he's left for dead and then of course he comes back but this is a fight that happened last season and when it happened I was just on the edge of my seat and I loved it and it's just the sparring between Arya and Brienne because the only time they've met they have met before and they met um Earlier, like I said, when they when they saw a kinship in one another. And this is them really getting the lay of the land of one another. And it also has Arya tipping her hand to Brienne in the beginning of the scene by saying that she really wants to fight with someone who's beaten the hound. She's seen her beat the hound. She's seen how good of a fighter she is. And she wants to spar with her because she's a fellow great fighter. And it... This scene also shows how far Arya has come in her own fighting technique and fighting style. She uses the water dancing that she was taught and also everything she was kind of taught being uh, amongst the faceless men in a way where you really see the fighting style versus Brienne's kind of brute force and ability with the longsword. So, uh, yes, I think we'll, we'll play that now. So this is number two. Is number two on my list. I know this is pretty high up for a lot of people for something that is doesn't involve any sort of bloodshed, but it was so emotionally important for me, and such a payoff to see these two characters spar one another in this way that I think it's it's definitely one of the top five 
five sword fights. So this is Brienne and Arya fighting in uh, episode four of season seven. I won't cut you. Don't worry. I'll try not to. See, even there we see how Arya uses needle to hit her sword a couple times and then move away. And then she hides her sword behind her back and uses her own speed to dodge uh, Brienne's giant sword. Technical term, giant sword. Not at all. This is where the brute force of Brienne actually comes into play where she's able to kick him, kick Arya away. But the way she's able to jump back up. And this fight has the added benefit of also showing Sansa and Littlefinger how dangerous Arya has become. And then it ends in a stalemate. With, uh. Who taught you how to do that? No one. Of course, a nod to the faceless men. But, uh, where she gets the dagger that she just received that, you know, was used to almost kill Bran. And, uh, and was able to put it against Brienne's throat while Brienne has her sword in Arya's face. And it's just. It's just a great payoff moment because they do they are equal fighters now. They're they're different strengths and different weaknesses, but they're equal in how they fight and there's so much respect between the two. I just love that little fight scene even though it's very small, no bloodshed. It did escalate the tension at the time between Sansa and Arya because they were leading up to that red herring where Sansa is maybe about to turn on Arya, and this shows why maybe she should, because she seems so dangerous, and then they they pay it off later. Um, all right, now I'm going to talk about my number one choice. I don't think there's a fight, a one-on-one fight, that has beaten this moment. I think there's battles. The Battle of the Bastards is one of the best episodes. And full-on battle scenes, but it's not, it's not, I wouldn't call it a sword fight, because <laughs> it's not one person versus another person with a single weapon in their hands, or um, or one person versus a group of people in just kind of a one-on-one, one-on-five scenario. There's a great fight, there's uh, some honorable mentions I want to mention before this one. Is there's uh, I love Sir Jorah in the in the pits right before the Sons of Harpy attack and the and the uh, Dragonlands. That's a great fight. And then there's also there's uh, also the Kingslayer and Ned Stark. They fight together on uh, episode five of season one. It's kind of a nice payoff because we get to finally see the Kingslayer. And this is back when Jamie was thought of as a real asshole so we get to see him fight ned who we consider the hero at the time kind of facing off against one another um 
But the fight between – I even looked up like, okay, what about when Jon Snow fights Ramsey Bolton? But even in that fight was just – that was uh, arrows versus a single shield. And they was able to hold the shield and, and just like attack him and use brute force, but not really a sword. He wasn't able – he loses his sword. Jon Snow, actually, if you look at all of his fights, he loses his sword in every single fight. He's not that great of a sword fighter. I think he just has luck and destiny on his side, but he is a good fighter. He just loses his sword all the time. He's able to recover from that and improvise – and he has a great sword that he's able to get back. And when he was fighting a White Walker, he was able to defeat him because he had the Valerian sword. But he loses his sword most of the time. All right. But this scene is amazing. And I think you know what it is because it hasn't been in this top five so far. But it's the fight between the Mountain and the Viper that has that happens in Season 4, Episode 8. Now, it has a pretty brutal ending as I'm sure you know when you watch it. So maybe we'll cut it off right before the ending because uh, we kind of know what's going to happen and we don't quite need to see the gore on this YouTube channel. But it's a great ending too. And uh, all right, so we're going to play it. So just to set up this moment, this is Tyrion uh, was accused of killing Joffrey. And to choose as his champion, he chooses the Viper, who uh, fights against the mountain. Now, the Viper has been on a mission against the mountain this entire time because his he'll explain it in this in this scene that we're about to watch. But the mountain, uh, he believes the mountain has killed his family and uh, his sister and his sister's kids. And they talk about it in the scene. I think one of the reason why one of the reasons why I love the scene is cuz the the suspense is there. They they twist who you think is going to win. It surprises you. Um the story and arc is very surprising of this moment and also I'm a big Princess Bride fan and there's a bit of a uh my name is uh Anigo Montoya, you killed my father, now prepare to die. In this, with the way he repeats it over and over again, it just feels, it It brings me back to that moment. Yet it's like, what if he didn't win? <laughs> um, so let's play it right now. This is, by the way, the, the first actor of the mountain, so it's not quite the mountain we've... No, a second actor on the mountain. I'm sorry. It's the mountain we have grown to love. Okay, and it starts off with the Viper being a show-off and showing off his skills with the spear, with his Dorna spear. Which I find suspicious right off because of Elia Martel. And do you know why I come all the way to this stinking shit pile of a city? For you? I'm going to hear you confess before you die. You raped my sister. You murdered her. You killed her children. Say it now and we can make this quick. It's also great to see 
the use of a spear. Say it. You You killed her children. And how it can be used in a close fight like this. Because too often we think of spears as just being thrown. But the way he has a shot against the mountain here is to keep his distance, and that's what the spear lends itself to. So now it's cut in half, and when it's knocked away from him, he has less of a chance. Fortunately, it's a formal battle, so someone hands him a new spear, which is convenient. Now he gets the hit, or the Viper actually gets the hit the mountain. And the only way he's able to bring him down is by, you know, hurting his legs, finding his weaknesses. She is a big guy, so when he's on the ground, he's less powerful because he's he's on the he's on the ground. You haven't confessed. Now. Say it. Say her name. Here's where the Viper's weakness comes into play. You raped her. You killed her children. Elia Martel, who gave you the order? His pride. Who gave you the order? And also his search for vengeance. You murdered her. You killed her children. Keeps him from killing him when he should. Say her name. And this is when the twist happens. He's knocked out. Okay, alright. And then this brutal ending happens. Enjoy it, kids. Alright. There we go. That's, and that's, uh... That just gives you the warm fuzzies, doesn't it? Just a nice little warm fuzzy. Maybe the most, maybe the goriest moment in Game of Thrones. But also, it's just, it's such a great twist. And the consequences for the fight are high because Tyrion's life is in the balance. But this also, um, the Dorne's mistress is, uh, the Viper's mistress, who I'm forgetting her name right now, is there and she that that brings the whole arc of her fighting against the um um the Lannisters that happens in the whole following seasons up until you know what's happening right now and I think that just got paid off in the last season when kind of the the Dorns are wiped off the map but they're still they're still fighting and it's still, it's, it's because of this one moment and the one fight resonates and, uh, it's kind of a draw because they kill each other. Um, but because the mountain lasts a little longer and then ends up getting in the hands of, of Kyburn and becoming the Franken mountain, that also has lingering effects because now he's, 
an unstoppable literal monster who's there. So it's – I don't think there's been a one-on-one fight like that that beats that moment. And in a lot of the lists, uh, it, it kind of – it tends to go low on people's lists, but I put it as number one. Anthony has some thoughts. What do you got? Okay. Uh, I got to say, this this fight ha- holds a special uh, place in my heart. Yeah. Because I've never felt so torn apart at the end of a fight on Game of Thrones like this one. Right. Especially because I I really cared for the character of um, – who was from Dorne. I forget his name. Yeah. It shows how much I care. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my God, like, he was so – like, his pizzazz in his fighting style. And also, I believe that's a Spanish uh, actor as well. Yeah, and uh, so me being uh, a Mexican, like it was just really great to see that representation on the uh, on Game of Thrones, which I I loved, and I loved his character. I loved how he was like so free of like free love. Just he was he would swing both ways, and he would still have his wife. Like it was, it was right. kind of like classy character, you know. Yeah, he was lovable, and his uh, name was Oberon. Oberon, yeah. Yeah. And just to see him go down in such a way, I was like, I was like his wife. I was screaming as well. Yeah, he was. He, you really wanted him to stick around a lot. I mean, he he was as charismatic as uh, Tyrion and Bronn as well. So you kind of felt like he might have been sticking around for longer than he ended up uh, sticking around. Yeah, that's what also added to the shock value of seeing him go out like this. Because yeah. I thought he was going to be like a major character, and it turns out he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, and also he just has like – it's such a brutal death. It's not – it doesn't feel like a heroic death. Like it feels like something that it's just – and you watch it. You watch his head actually explode and he's someone – he's such a handsome man that you just see his face just dissolve in someone's hands. It's it's awful. Yeah, I think it's like a – it might be like a literal play on just how – like in a sense how prideful he was, like how big of a head he got that it just got smushed eas- that much more easier, you know? Right, right. Yeah, because it's I, – I, the one thing about the fight is when he does come out and and he has those Indiana Jones flourishes, like, <laughs> like the guy with the swords that ends up getting shot by Indiana Jones – in the first movie, I, I do have this feeling like, oh, I don't think this is going to go well. Yeah, it did have that. It had a this whole fight has a certain like uncertain kind of weird feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Going into it, like all, like all the way around, it has a weird uncertainty to it that's very hard to get shake off while you're watching it. Yeah, it's tense and it's it, it has suspense and it has a great payoff, I think. Which is why I think it's my favorite fight. I de- definitely, and I totally agree. It's one of my favorite like moments in the whole show, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. All right, and that that's it for my list. So if you agree, if you don't agree, sorry I wasn't able to get the the chat up and chat with you guys. But please tweet at me at mr dave child. Leave some comments. Talk about it amongst yourselves. You probably all disagree with me, and that's fine. Thank you for watching me kind of ramble to myself in a room and hear Anthony's disembodied voice. And please follow me at uh, Mr. Dave Child or go to DaveChild.com and watch my short, Press Start, which is about a guy who gets stuck in a video game. So watch it at DaveChild.com under Press Start. Thank you guys and join us next week for Game of Thrones Weekly. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. 
I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Valamagulis. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners.